Time Lord, welcome to System Mastery. We've no time, but you have all the time for Time Ship, an RPG from 1982 by Yakinto Publishing. It's going to be a lot of this, so settle in. Time Ship on System Mastery. Time Lord. Welcome back to System Mastery, the podcast where we do the stuff that we do. I'm Jeff, that's John, and I found a dumb game. Man, this has been one of those games that we have talked about. Mm -hmm. We've looked for it. Since the beginning, honestly. This has been one of those ones where, in like the very first few episodes... We were like, oh, man, we got to find that game where you just travel through time as yourself. So, way to spoil it in the first 30 seconds. We might as well just tell everyone thanks for coming and pitch the Patreon. Oh, I always tell people <laughs> thanks for coming and then pitch the Patreon. <laughs> I always say goodnight to guys. Uh, okay, so, so yeah, this is an older game, and, and John's right. We've been looking for this one for a long time. Yeah. Uh, we recently found that someone, I, I assume whoever owns Yakintos rights these days, uploaded the whole thing just as an bare bones pdf to drive through rpg so now you can find it too yay uh, i've been looking for a physical copy for forever with very little success <laughs> but it was time to review it anyway whether or not i had the real pages and that is why we have a pdf here of timeship a book by a guy named herbie yeah uh, herbie brennan herbie brennan uh he's an irish feller so imagine all of the accents being like that instead of whatever i was doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you can do Irish for these, but honestly, it it's just fine. sounds way better as a pompous Englishman. Yeah, I really kind of, the Paul F. Tompkins, Andrew Lloyd Webber is pretty much oh, yeah. the, the specific line you need to be getting to. Time Lord! This book yells Time Lord at you <laughs> so often. This book says Time Lord between every paragraph. It says Time Lord the way telegraphs say stop. <laughs> You're going to need to prepare your journeys for the adventure. Time Lord! <laughs> like It's like it's afraid you're going to stop paying attention and reading the book. It's like that uh, that news for people with ADHD thing that Kevin Nealon used to do. <laughs> but uh, So, yeah, you might as well start with a basic premise because it's a wild one. Oh. Uh, so the, the, the to really boil it down to its barest essence as a game, Time Lord, or Time Ship, excuse me, the game's called Time Ship. Yes. I'm going to have to re-record the intro now. No, uh, you said time shit. I did say, okay, good. Well, then I won't have to re-record the intro. I'll just have to re-record this part. And don't worry, <laughs> I won't. Oh, you definitely are going to remember this. I won't remember Of either. all the things you don't remember, <laughs> this isn't one of them. <laughs> In Time Ship, you have to have a group. One of you is the Time Lord. The rest of you are the Time journer, Journeyers. Uh, and what you do is you play as yourselves... And you have to pretend that a time portal opened at the table in front of you, and you choose to venture in. Yeah. So, there's a lot of in-character stuff that this game does, which is to say the entire book is written in character as if this is a manuscript found in, like... Egypt near some Dead Sea Scrolls or something. It is an insane mix of tenses in terms of who, who's writing it at what point. Because the very beginning of the book is written from the point of view of some scientist who was involved in an expedition to find 
scrolls of the Dead Sea Scrolls and then finds a special ship and then finds writing in them. But then after that, it dumps right back to the author for a while, also writing in first person, as he expounds on how other role-playing games are terrible. Uh, and then it goes right back in. It, it moves to second person, addressing the person who's the DM. <laughs> it's a real weird choice, but the fact that everything is written from the point of view of essentially a a character that is a professor of ancient Sumerian language mm-hmm. and is super like the best at like old cuneiform. Yes. And so <sighs> that will be our main voice except when it is the voice of the translated cuneiform scroll tablet things yeah. that they found. Well, it's scrolls, but cuneiform was never done on scrolls, so he's like, someone must have transposed mm-hmm. this from tablets to scrolls at some point. This is very unusual, and it also was found very far away from the Fertile Crescent where uh, cuneiform was practiced. It's uh, a real weird choice. It's a humdinger of a head-scratcher, Time Lord. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, the fact that most of this is like, oh, yeah, the initial excavation of these scrolls was done by some American, and then I'm British, and I am a professor of doctorology. Yeah, I've got a doctorate in Sumer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the basic, the opening story is, so a guy was involved in part of the Dead Sea Scrolls recovery, and had gone back on an expedition to look for additional sites near the Dead Sea, uh, because the American who had discovered them in the first place was convinced that they were, while they had found an excellent find, they were done. But there was a smaller expedition that went back to look for more, and it eventually found a kind of cliffside cave entrance that was full of antique pots, most of which were full of powder, but some of them still had special oils, and a few of them had uh, writing in them. And also inside of that room was a time ship. Weirdly, the time ship out of all of these things is the least interesting thing, according to this doctor in the room. He's like, oh, does he ever want to talk to you about the types of oils and unguents found in those in those urns and such? And the writing, oh, goodness, the writing. But there's not a single description in the book of what the fuck a time ship is or looks like. Uh, the time ship is the writing. Oh, it is just the writing? I the whole conceit of this is the time ship is just a, uh, pictures instructions. and instructions. Okay, well, then he's like, all right, well, I guess I shall translate it. And be careful, for others who have read the translation have suffered. Yes, these, these are dangerous uh, translations, and who knows if someone may come unstuck in time. I think one of my favorite parts was the bit where he was like, I've had to do some transliteration changes because of the ineffability of our alien brethren who wrote these books. For example, they reference Cosmic East, which makes no sense because, of course, space is merely a directionless vacuum. I have substituted regular East in those situations where appropriate. And my first thought on reading that was, oh, neat, so there's going to be a bunch of space stuff in this book? No, there is none. This is just a detail for detail's sake. It's so weird that the author goes real deep into the theory that there was an ancient civilization that was hyper-advanced to the point of being able to do psychic power stuff. Yeah. And their greatest invention was the time ship, and their entire world was about to collapse, 
And so they sent the instructions on how to time travel in a time ship to Earth that was found by ancient Sumerians, apparently. And I guess they translated ancient alien into ancient Sumerian. Mm -hmm. And this is his translation of ancient Sumerian into modern English. So it's a couple steps removed of translation. I There's nothing in the translation, though, that says, oh, yeah, there these were aliens from a dying civilization. He just sort of assumes yeah. that that's true. I mean, it does. This book is about a short chapter at the beginning of how to play the game. Uh, a second short chapter at the beginning kind of addressed to the Time Lord, which is the, the DM of the game about how to how to run your players through it, which makes some very clear jabs at other games, apparent. Uh, and then it's three adventures. Three long-form adventures make up the bulk of this book. Yes. Uh, the first thing you establish from this time travel, he's like, oh, yes, this ancient dying alien civilization must have existed. And we know it's true because they're, they are a big part of the second of the three adventures. Um, but otherwise it's like they sent us this time travel equipment that may, we may save our own species. Anyway, so in the first adventure, you'll go on a whimsical Doctor Who mystery for no reason. <laughs> in the second, you'll want to fuck whores, so here's a way to do that. And in the third, I, the author, know way too much about Nazis. <laughs> Welcome to Time Ship. <laughs> so, Okay. <sighs> Before we get into the rules of how to play the game, there's weirdly some rules about how you can play the game. Uh, there's a little section of the beginning that's like, here's the types of weapons that there are in this world, uh, including some big crazy ones like special types of cannons and mortar shells and so on. And then it's like, only the certain types of weapon may permit por uh, travel through the time portal. And this is all before the rules have started. Keep you in mind that they, for some reason, it, it was just like, I'll just put some rules here. And then later, I'll explain the rules. Yeah, it's interesting to me that he was like, oh, you're traveling through time, and one of the things you can do is, because you're playing yourself traveling through time, you can bring whatever's on you, but you can also expend like energy to manufacture stuff that will show up with you. Yes. But depending on where you're going in time certain things are or are not allowed yeah you can't take advanced stuff back in time with you yeah if i have a gun and i take it back to like the 11th century it's not working anymore yeah it won't come with you because uh the time when you get I mean, there's nothing in there to stop you from being like well i'm an advanced metallurgist and i know everything there is to know about gun construction i'm just going to go back to the 11th century and refine saltpeter into gunpowder and invent the fucking gun there's no there's no rule stopping you from doing that but there is a rule stopping you from taking them back and it's very detailed there's a list of what weapons can go to what time periods there's a, a thing about what armors are allowed to just travel through the portal at all Weirdly, the only armor that seems to be allowed to travel through portals is specifically 15th century jousting armor, because I think it's literally just because he wanted to list his knowledge of the various greaves and basques and castanets or whatever the fuck makes up those things. I know castanets aren't a thing. Don't send me that. <laughs> yes, his castanets. Those are the most important part of jousting armor. Yes. After you score a hit on the other jouster, you have to, like, underscore it with some jet with some castanets. Now, you can technically bring something to a time where it doesn't belong 
but then you have to pay a an extreme tax on it in terms of energy because the only real numerical value on things that you have most of the time is energy and there's personal energy and group energy yeah and, and there's beyond that there's only three other stats in the whole game yeah i mean energy is essentially what you're using for most things it is not only what you have to pay if you want to bring something back with you so if you're like all right we're going to feudal japan and i don't own a katana which is weird because i'm a nerd playing this game right but I would like to make one appear with me. I'll pay a certain amount of energy out of my personal energy to have one. It also works like your hit points, because as long as you have any personal energy left, you can't die. So if someone cuts your head off and you have personal energy left, you've just got a severed head and an alive body wandering around. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very death becomes her until you run out of energy. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's, I mean, also it's a little uh, Baron Munchausen in terms of being headless and being able to attach to a body if you would like to. Uh, well, only as far as the King of the Moon is concerned. And the Queen of the Moon. Yeah. Let's not discount the Queen of the Moon. <laughs> no one discounts the Queen of the Moon. How dare they if they even try? <laughs> Certainly not Baron Munchausen. Time Lord! <laughs> I'm pretty sure Baron Munchausen climbed up in her moon guts and danced around in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's implied in the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it really pisses off giant Robin Williams. I mean, it would piss me off. Yeah. I, I'd find myself hard to be pissed off in general if I was a giant Robin Williams. I feel like I'd be mostly chill with that. I get to meet Coco the gorilla. Uh, I, I, you know, I get to play a lot of Legend of Zelda. Yeah, but then, you'd be giant Robin Williams, so you wouldn't. That's oh. why you'd be so angry all the time. No, I can't like, do any of the... They don't make controllers my size. <laughs> it's not called giant Mork and Mindy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Mrs. Doubtfire, but Mrs. Doubtfire is 50 feet tall. <laughs> oh, no, I'm just a nanny. Well, that's weird, because our father was also 50 feet tall. This is... Oh, it's very common. <laughs> He's from good Irish stock, like me, Mrs. Doubtfire, a giant. <laughs> All right, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, I just found the page. There's an armor list, and it's like, oh, only a very few pieces of armor have so far proven acceptable in the gateways. And here's the list. Saxon chainmail, mail tunics, Norman lank mail, hauberks, uh, solerets, faldron vambraces, coods and vambraces. Uh, so as you can see, he just knew a lot about armor types and was like, ooh, I, this is a great opportunity for me to list them. Uh, yeah, and it's that's when it goes back to the first-person professor, because it does go back and forth between the translated text and the actual yeah. person translating. And so the person translating is like, oh, in experiments using this, uh, these are the things that we have found will work. But you are free to experiment with your own group. Right. Uh, there's an equipment list of things that you can... Because, again, this whole game runs on personal energy. Now, if you're wondering how to generate your own individual personal energy, uh, you roll percentile dice three times. And what you're going to want to do is take your crystal and go out into the forest <laughs> with your group. How are you going to... Well, that generates group energy. <laughs> yeah, otherwise, you could just go J.O. in the woods by yourself. <laughs> uh, oh, no. Time ship is straight up energy crystals, isn't it? Oh, no. <laughs> you can only play it in groups. <laughs> so... Yeah, you roll three D100, mm -hmm. and that's your personal energy. Yeah. 
And the group energy is the total of everyone's personal energy. There's a section where it's like, what if it costs 150 personal energy to enter a portal? Well, that will merely limit the amount of time that your players can spend there, and they better hurry up. The minimum amount of personal energy a player could have is three. Well, they would be utterly foolish to go through a time portal, wouldn't they? And I was like, yes, they would. So should you modify that so it can't happen at your game table? (laughs) Which is great, because there's no rule for like, oh, and then that person says... I guess I won't go through. Can we do a different one? And then you re-roll. <laughs> yeah, if if uh, there's a roll on your table that literally precludes player, and you only have the one fucking roll, uh, maybe you should not use it to preclude people from playing the game in the first place. It's a real weird choice to say that your personal amount of energy is 3d100, given the vast difference in what people could roll yeah that good old-fashioned 297 point swing is uh pretty noticeable because <laughs> even outside of lol you can just make it so you can't go on an adventure you rolled out of being able to play the game it's also like yeah we're gonna go do a thing i i didn't roll pretty great i got like 80 personal energy and someone else is like i have 230 fuck you i'm bringing an entire car back with me <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> oh, the other thing that's fun about that, you can spend personal energy on small items like weapons and, and, uh, to change your appearance to match the area you're going to, or to give yourself a new costume, that kind of thing. Uh, you can also spend group energy if you'd like to go through the portal with something larger, like a boat or a tank or a catapult or something. There's a whole section of weapons that only group energy can be spent on. There are things like a ballista bo- or a cannon. Yeah. Ballistas and train mounted ca- guns and all that junk. Uh, of the three adventures in this game. All of them ban the use of group energy weapons. (sighs) (laughs) And I mean, part of me looks at that and goes, yeah, I get it. Because what am I going to do? Me and my four chubby nerds go back in time to Sodom and Gomorrah and have a ballista. What am I going to do with that? I I guess assault the walls of the... Oh, wait, Gomorrah was was importantly an open city. And also, if I just show up in the middle of town with a ballista, I'm pretty sure people are going to go, hey, hey, what the fuck are you hey, doing man. with a ballista? You want to fuck? <laughs> I'll fuck you for that ballista. <laughs> fuck that ballista for you. <laughs> I will fuck you, and then I will fuck that ballista. <laughs> you fuck my ballista? <laughs> yes, I am your ballista, and I fucked your ballista. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we, it's just kind of amusing. I mean, granted, that's in there for the purposes of, like, custom-driven time campaigns. I mean, if they wanted to be like, oh, we're doing a Civil War time travel thing, so mm-hmm. you should bring a cannon back I'm with sure you. if this book had had four adventures, the fourth one would have been, you play as the Confederates, yes. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, the Hitler one is assassinating Hitler and not, you know, being Hitler's pal. But it sure is just like, I know everything about Hitler in the last days of Berlin. Yeah, but I mean... That's just a thing. If you're in World War II, you're going to know that. I was talking, we were talking about this last night before recording today was, was how the, the three adventures in this game very specifically date a type of nerd that was an, uh, an adult nerd in 1982. Well, I mean, before we ever looked up who this person was Mm -hmm. that wrote this, it was like, wait a minute, you have a Doctor Who adventure, a biblical adventure. Where you prick a pin into the whole biblical mythology, don't you know? And then a World War II adventure where you have to go kill Hitler. I'm like, this is so British. This is some British-ass nerd. (laughs) 
This is some goddamn British asshole. I know it. I can smell the stink of Britain upon you. You can't fool me. This is just fantasy war games again. <laughs> Britannia! Turns out he's an Irish guy. Yeah, but I mean, he might be Northern Irish. Uh, very true. Very true. I don't know. Uh, so, <laughs> so, yeah, you can easily, very easily just roll yourself out of playing this game. Uh, with no provisions for what you're supposed to do in that case if that happens. And in fact, just a joke about it in the book, where it's like, ah, if someone, Tee-hee, would, someone might. Someone might roll a three, and then they'd be foolish to go on your adventure. In that, in that case, they should retire to the kitchen and prepare you a cigarette. <laughs> I've prepared you a cigarette. <laughs> a fine cigarette, sir. Uh, so there's a list here for items you can you can take with you around in time for two personal energy. Uh, some of them are things like tobacco, a spool of thread. Notably, both spool of thread and sewing kit are on this list. So I'm not sure. I think you just wrote down any random small item you could think <laughs> You're of. You're just looking around the flat, being like, all right, what do I got here? Some needles, some thread. All right, that's good. <laughs> uh, tent. Two persons with ground sheet. Ooh. Well, can I get a three-person one with no ground sheet? What are we doing here? I want. Let's, what's let's what's bo- the uh, let's, negotiation we do? Let's bargain. <laughs> How can I haggle for more stuff? I think the world atlas has got to be the best thing on the list because you just take that back to like the eighth century and you're like, look, I I know what the world looks like. Here's a book. Hey, I've got a really accurate map of the world. Look. <laughs> Everyone's like, you're a horrifying witch. <laughs> yes. Also, that is also correct. Yes. Note Ugh. that I have invented the spool of thread. <laughs> I I want to say, outside of the just, you know, ridiculous list of dumb nonsense, my favorite thing in this mm-hmm. is the from the point of view of the translated material, mm-hmm. where it begins talking to whoever's reading it in the most pompous, dumb bullshit way possible. Oh, yeah. The, very, really... the very first one, I just want to read... A snippet of lines. No, I hate it when people read out loud from the books. In the I know you do. It's I'll interrupt worst. this so much. <laughs> no, no, by all means. The time ship is not an artifact, although there are artifacts latent within it. The time ship is not a weapon, although you may create weapons with it. The time ship is not a vehicle, although you may travel far by its use. The time ship is knowledge, in ancient knowledge, of mind power and the universal energy. The time ship is instruction in the art of the possible. <laughs> Time Lord! <laughs> time Lord! Time Lord! <laughs> I think my favorite one of the of the Time Lord asides is in the middle of... Well, we'll get to it when we get to the Gamora one, because, I mean, a lot of this episode is just going to be discussing the three adventures. Um, <laughs> so, the other things you need to know are the chance of hitting with a weapon. Uh, it's base 30. You have to roll above a 30 on a, D, a D100. Uh, but most people don't hit that. That's That's if you're, like, that's like the minimum. That's like the best possible accuracy you can get to. Uh, you, as a player, you are charged with looking at a list of 20 ancient weapons and deciding what you personally are best at, uh, among them. So you have to look at this list that's like rapiers, broad axes, short pull weapons. Yes. What would I say my proficiency is with all of these? Mm-hmm. Which means that this guy was, I mean, there's nothing more revealing than your own book. Which means this guy could sit down and look at a list of 15 ancient weapons and be like, hmm, I think I'm probably best with the Gladius. <laughs> the, <laughs> the other thing is, there's no skill list because you're playing yourself. Yeah. And it's just sort of up to the Time Lord to decide what you have. I love how it, it, it advises the Time Lord to be exceptionally critical in these moments. It's like, well, it's up to you. And... uh 
you know, if you want to say that this person can't do whatever, then just make it very difficult. Yeah. But, like, let's say you need to pick a lock. If your friend who's an accountant attempts it, why, he'll have quite the difficult time. However, if you are traveling with a locksmith, it should be no problem. I'm like... Please don't. How often do you travel with locksmiths, you pompous Brit or Irish dude? You don't know. Maybe one of my friends is a locksmith and I fucking role play with him. a very specific role-playing game you've written in that situation. <laughs> uh, you'll need to be friends with Sorsha, who of course is a locksmith. Hello, I'm Sasha. <laughs> I'm Australian, apparently. Don't mind me. No, I guess he's more of a New- she's more of a New Zealand person now. <laughs> I'm a Kiwi. Locksmith. I'm in uh, 18, 1982 Ireland. This is common, of course. Of course. Yep. Looking it's for quite common. Looking for lock work. Anyone need a uh, lock picked? <laughs> I'm here for you. I'm quite good at lock pick, and I'd like to. Th- I, I I assume I'm most proficient with the short pole axe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The it really does make very clear the problem of, hey, you guys are going to go through time as yourself. But also, there's no stats. It's just I get to decide whether or not you're good at something. (laughs) Because most of the time, the shit you want to do to be like, oh, we're having a cool adventure is going to be stuff you don't normally get to do. That's the goddamn point of a role-playing game. Yeah. Like, I mean, when I was reading this section, I was like, okay, well, I guess the bonus content characters in this game are just going to be us, so get ready for that. But, but, uh... I was like, oh, you know what? I actually am very good at fencing. I fenced in college, and I, I was left-handed, and, and that made me useful. So I ended up getting a ton of practice because everyone wanted to fence a left-handed guy. Uh, so I'm very, very good at fencing, but I don't want to get in a sword fight. I don't feel like my skills translate. No. And also, you'd be like, I'm very good at, you know, fencing in a very controlled, normal fencing environment. Yeah. Not a dude is attempting to murder me with an actual sword. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, unless you're some sort of, like, society for creative anachronism person, uh, a lot of this is just pointless nerd frippery where you're like, oh, yes, of course, I'm significantly more proficient with the halberd than I am with the vulge. Mm -hmm. And uh, could you please pass me that bag of Fritos? (laughs) I just... uh... There is something in the idea of playing as yourself, going on an adventure, that I sort of like the idea of. Absolutely, but you feel like what's, you'd be playing as yourself, but you'd be being transplanted into the skills you need to play in an environment. Yeah, they, it really feels like, oh, there should be some, some amount of like magical nonsense that's like, oh, you play as you... But also, you get to pick a couple things that you're magically good at. Yeah, I should be able to put my brain into the body of a huge barbarian. And then I'll have to tie in a loincloth, because I can't walk around with my dork hanging out. (laughs) Yeah, but if we're playing us, the dork is always hanging out. (laughs) We're just a couple of dorks hanging out. Indeed. That's life. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, there's something kind of mean-spirited about the way this game is built, where it's like... You just you just see the the uh, time lord being like, ah, does any one of you know how to isolate helium from swamp gas? Of course not, because all of you are bank clerks. You failed a mission, uh, and that means most of the missions in this, in order to work, pretty much universally have to just be weird tourism. Yeah, you just wander around. Like the the first 
uh, sample mission in here that's just some Doctor Who bullshit, where you're like, oh, you go to the end of time, and fucking Little Red Riding Hood is there, and so's a Dracula, and you're like, great, let's figure out what the first murder in 300 million years was. And that, at least as myself, I could wander around and be like, cool, let's just see what's going on here. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely a tourism type thing. And that's sort of the same thing with the Sodom and Gomorrah one, where they assume you're just going to want to go back in time and fuck a lot of whores. I mean, the big problem you run into with the, the, the one at the end of time is that it's the first of the three adventures and it immediately puts to question, what the fuck is the point of the time ship? If all you can do with it is go have pointless adventures in pointless land. Like, because this one is, you arrive in the middle of a featureless plane. You are surrounded by a couple of small items, like there's a dais with a, with a coffin on it, and behind you is a heavy curtain, and from over the horizon arrives a man riding a penny-farthing bicycle with a large uh, Freud beard. He introduces himself as Sir Bertram Trenchcoat, and he is going to be your guide to this world. He has things to tell you. First of all, there's been a murder committed at the end of time, and the murder... That of Count Dracula himself. You're like, what the fuck is this? Okay. <laughs> is, is it going to go on like this? Indeed it is. Oh, Event- yes. You'll meet a Victorian butler polishing spoons in a building called McDonald's. <laughs> it's, it's some serious shit. And you're like, okay, what does this have to do with how important it was for this alien species to send me this ship so I could learn to travel through time to save ourselves? Oh, it's not. You go to the end of time and some babies that live there that are in charge of everything are testing you. I mean, for their own amusement, there's nothing that you need to pass. I understand at least the the general idea being that, like, oh, the time ship is literally just they sent a role playing game back, and that's all it is. <laughs> that's all it is. Here, have this have this role playing game. But the fact that they're like, you will find a screen, place it before you. None may pass. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I get it. It's a DM screen. None may pass, Time Lord. <laughs> Okay. I mean, if if more than 100 people had ever read this book, I would think this is the kind of thing that would lead to the satanic panic, where it's all these, like, strict rules being delivered with exclamation points in the text. Dare ye not venture be into the realm of the Time Lord, lest he punish thee? Uh... Time Lord, be sure to punish them. <laughs> this is the screen, also known as the screen of conjuration, the screen of power. And you're like, please stop. <laughs> please. I can't. This is how I am now. This is just me now. Deal with it, Gary. <laughs> uh, as I mentioned, one of the other stats you have is is your ability to roll or to hit. Uh, a third one is speed factor, which is just action advantage the stat. Uh, as a player, you choose what you think your speed factor is but also have to fudge it a little bit with input from the Time Lord. Uh, if you have a sp- uh, For every 10 points you have above a speed factor of 50, you get an additional attack every time it's your turn. Yeah. Uh, you, although it does counterbalance, if you're fighting someone who has the same speed as you, then instead of you, both of you getting two attacks on each other, you just, you just zero it out. Yeah. You, just, <laughs> you go down to the lowest possible amount of both. Uh-huh. Uh, and finally, there's a hit point track. That is different from the personal and group energy tracks. So if you... Yeah, it's why you can get your head cut off and still have personal energy. Yes. But if you lose all your personal energy, then you can still start losing uh, hit points and eventually die. But if you had your head cut off and lost all your energy, you're just dead. You're gone. Yeah. You, a person, have died. Mm -hmm. Blackleaf is dead. (laughs) Marcy, no! (laughs) You're dead. You can't speak anymore. (laughs) Don't do this. Blackleaf was all I had. 
okay. So um, they they also have, and I'm going to go ahead and say, thankfully, rules on shape changing, which is mostly, hey, did you want to go back to any time period where being black would be a real big problem? <laughs> uh, you can just not be. Please, this is a book written in Ireland in the 80s. This is a, black people were not going to be the concern of the writer. I mean, that is basically what it says. Yeah. It's like, there are times when perhaps being who you are wouldn't be the best. Oh, I mean, granted, this is also a book that refers to Jesse Owens as a proud Negro. It really is. It, it actually says that. That's that a- is an actual line from the Hitler adventure. <laughs> uh... Oh, part of the part of the uh, the joy of digging through trash from the from the Elden days is that we find it. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> part of the joy of digging through ta- trash is there's trash in there. Yeah. Uh, okay. So. So yeah, uh, there there are rules for shape changing yourself and for changing your clothes. Uh, they get bizarrely power scaled. So for example, if you're like, well, I can't wear my t-shirt and jeans into the 15th century, I shall require a garment. Then you can get like a tunic or a, or a waistcoat for like three points. But if you'd like to dress in finery, why it will cost you fifty personal energy? <laughs> yeah, that a, is the manner of garmenting yourself as a king. That is, it's very weird. And the shape change thing is like, oh, if if you're a woman and you went back to a point where it wouldn't be conducive for you to walk around as a woman and have rights, mm-hmm. then you can shape change into a man, a nice Aryan man. <laughs> oh yeah yeah so there's there's those rules for shape changing and for giving yourself clothes both of which are also ignored consistently throughout the adventures Eh. there's all these rules for how the people in those time well not the end of time one because there's no one there that makes any fucking sense no the end of time is just everyone is some dumb garbage so so were you who cares yeah but the hitler one is like like uh everyone's shooting at you well what if we came back and shape changed into wehrmacht dudes yeah i mean if i show up and i'm just Wearing an SS uniform, why is a fucking German sniper shooting at me? And demanding my papers and shit. What are you fucking talking about? Uh, but apparently they just it's just written here it's written under the assumption that you would not use these easy shapeshift tools. <laughs> it's written under the assumption that everyone's a big dumb idiot. <laughs> because, you know Also a also a thirsty idiot. Let's let's be <laughs> Because that's what the... Basically, the first one is, we assume everyone likes whimsical, stupid shit. The second one is, everyone likes to say that that they themselves, as their character, is fucking whores. Look, (laughs) I made an entire adventure based around, if there's any girls there, I want to do them. That's the whole (laughs) Sodom and Gomorrah adventure. All right, let's... Why don't we... uh, Is there anything else? Yes, there's a a couple things. Uh, Other than that, there is also the idea of... Getting into an adventure is very easy. Everyone just sits around, and the Time Lord basically has a script that's like, imagine, you're on a beach. Yeah. And, you Art know, thou prepared? He goes have, through have thy girded thy loins? Yeah. Aye, we have. He goes through a whole thing back yeah. and forth with them, and then it describes the scenario that they will imagine walking into. But to leave... It's the Matrix, and there are certain designated exit points that you have to get to mm-hmm. in order to leave. And they will sometimes only pop up if you have completed some agenda or something. There are both permanent exits that are always available and special exits that are available if you have managed to accomplish some goal. Yeah, if it's a capsule, which is what they call adventures, mm-hmm. if it is a time capsule that is just essentially tourism, 
then there will be some permanent exits and you can just leave whenever you want because all you're doing is dicking around in time. Yeah. But if it's a uh, an actual goal-oriented capsule that you have to do a task, then task capsules have specific exits that only appear when you finish the task. So if you don't finish it, you just can't leave? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, also, there are psychic powers you might get. I was just about to say, there's something called wild talents. Uh, wild talents are basically psychic powers. There's only like five of them, and they are very broad. There's, it's like, you know, telepathy, psychometry. Uh, psychokinesis. Psychokinesis, pyrokinesis, and uh, future sense, I think, is the, or something like that. And that's, and, and that's it. Uh, the, but the only one that shows up in any of the games, any of the adventures, randomly, is in the Gamora adventure. Uh, there's a wild talent floating around Gamora that your players may attempt to claim, which is fire resistance. In order to claim it, they nearly step into the nearest available fire, and on a, a roll of 80 or higher on a D100, they don't take damage, and now they have the power of fire resistance. Great. Although, I gotta say, it's weird to me that if you were going to do a biblical thing and you were going to hand out fire resistance, you'd think it would be the actual Bible story where, you know, a bunch of people got put into a fire and then didn't burn up. Mm-hmm. But no. Well, the funny thing about the fire resistance in the Gomorrah arc is that you don't pl- tell the players about it. It's just it's just if someone decides, <laughs> I'm going to go walk into that fire real quick. Hang on, let me just see if I can get ready. I'm going to walk into fire and see what happens. That's literally the point of it. And if, should- of course, me, I, whenever I see a fire, want to walk into it. Yeah, as yourself, as a player, you're like, fire, hmm? A bonfire, you say? I stride into it purposefully. <laughs> I liked I like the twenty percent odds of being immune to it. Apparently, also that sets a really stupid precedent for your game. Where even if someone like, oh, you tripped and fell into fire, and then you made the roll, and now you're immune to fire, at that point everyone's like, oh shit, that's a thing that can happen. Every adventure, I'm going to be like, shoot me. I want to see if I'm immune to bullets now. <laughs> Yeah, it's very unusual. One last thing I wanted to mention before we dive into the adventures proper um, is that this book does have some old-fashioned touches that are just left over because this was an era where stuff from D&D was just assumed. And one of the big ones is mapping. There's a, there's a whole section in the book on how to assign someone to be the mapper and how mapping will increase the, the realism of your game because as they draw the map, as you describe elements to them, then then something can be lost in translation in your game of telephone tag and describing it to them. And this these lost bits of data will become some of the most fun you can have at the table. But all I can think is none of the adventures are dungeons. Everything is just wandering around like cities and garden paths and... What are you talking about? Like, who's who's the one guy in the back of your group when you're trying to assassinate Hitler in the Fuhrer bunker? And you're like, you're like, all right, so we take a left here. Hang on, let me draw that. Berlin has a left. <laughs> yeah, turns out Berlin's got a lot of lefts. <laughs> what, what, Dresden, not so much left. Oh no, there's not a lot of Berlin, <laughs> Dresden left. Uh, there's not a lot of Berlin left at this point either. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it's August 1945. Um, but. But yeah, mapping is like a holdover. It doesn't make any fucking sense in these contexts. If you want a map of Berlin, you just stop in a store. Or, you know, be like, hey, before we one. started this adventure, I brought a map of Berlin, which, man, the fact that this <laughs> the game, story. this game is like, hey, you can, because you're playing as yourself, if you actually bring something to the table, you could bring that back with you. Free of per- personal energy expenditures. It's It's free if you already have it for real. Yeah. Which means there's a story about this person going to run the Kill Hitler game and someone showed up in like a World War One gas mask and 
like they had a cavalry saber, a saber and whatnot. And they're like, "Ooh, I want to bring this with me." And he was like, "Oh, how, how very clever of you! How enterprising and creative that you have some gross World War memorabilia." <laughs> I mean, I was really waiting for him to say, like, and then my player showed up in a full SS uniform, and mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, please leave. <laughs> <sighs> Except he wouldn't say that. He'd be like, ooh, capital. Oh, my, look mm-hmm. at you. He wouldn't say capital because he's Irish. He'd say, I don't know. oh, that's grand. Grand, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, if you show up with it in real life, then you can walk back in the game with it. Uh, but luckily, you're not supposed to tell your players what adventures they're going on. I mean, the thing is, for that example, he was like, yeah, and I told him we were going to yeah. go do this. He made a point of telling them in that situation. All right, you want to talk about the three adventures in greater detail? <sighs> no, but sure. That's all that's left. <laughs> <to live. laughs> uh, the first adventure is the murder at the end of time. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, you are teleported to a mostly featureless plane when a goofball and a penny farthing named Bertram Trenchcoat shows up to talk to you. Uh, believe me, he is not a Monty Python character. Very much not. He wants to know if you've seen his fish. Oh, where, oh, where did his fishy go? It doesn't matter why he is dressed as a tiger. Has he got my leg? (laughs) Uh, We have the same rule. We've done it twice and we have two children. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, good Lord. Uh, Okay. So, as mentioned, you are there to solve the first murder that's happened in 300 million years at the end of time. And that murder? Count Dracula's murder. You are... (laughs) Jesus Christ. You are contained within a force field. And uh, Bertram's not going to tell you anything outside of it. No. Because I haven't thought of anything outside of my dumb, goofy adventure. Yeah, so he just doesn't say shit if he doesn't... He's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not at liberty to say anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, if you open the casket, sure enough, there's a dead Dracula in there with a stake through his heart. But if you close the casket and walk away from it, then he just comes back to life and follows you around. He's not mean, and he's not really a very Dracula kind of guy. He's just very interested in his own murder and talks to you at great length about it. <laughs> uh, if you do, this is the funny thing to me: is you meet a million non-combatants when you're making your way through these games. Like in the Gamora one, it's a bunch of like you know lepers and prostitutes. In the uh, in, in this one, it's a bunch of like random historical figures and Victorian butlers and what have you. All of them have their combat stats, and they're like, "Should you attack this baby you find in the woods? <laughs> like, why would you do that? But why? <laughs> oh, look, we found Little Red Riding Orphan Annie Oakley. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Yay! She doesn't even know her own age. Okay, mm-hmm. Time Lord. She's approximately fourteen. Time Lord. Uh, there's a mechanical parrot you can encounter in the woods. If you wind him up, he announces the butler done it over and over again. <laughs> uh, so you wander around the woods from this featureless plane, probably with Dracula following you. Uh, and if you attack Dracula, he gets mad and fights you. But then when you kill him, he wakes up again, not mad and follows you around talking about his murder from before you murdered him. Uh, eventually it's revealed, you find little red riding orphan Annie Oakley, uh, and she has a, a gun with bullets in it, which you can take from her, or she'll fight for with it, and she is very, very accurate. Yeah. She's absolutely the most accurate you can be. Oh, yeah. She'll murder you. Yeah. Um, she is hanging around two babies that she found in the woods, as far as she is aware. She, all she remembers is having found these babies. 
the babies, of course, are actually the murderers. They are the the last two humans at the end of time. Uh, they have infinite power, uh, and they have chosen to look like babies for the purpose of not appearing like suspicious parties in the storyline. Uh, uh, beyond them, you can find a McDonald's with, an, with a Victorian butler in it who was transported here specifically to polish spoons in a McDonald's. Yeah, you can find Giuseppe Caglioni, a mafia don. Mm-hmm. But eventually you just have to accuse the babies of doing it, and then they're like, okay, okay. Yeah, you got us. We're murder babies. We're end-of-time murder babies. And Bert- have you ever seen a Star Trek? It's mm-hmm. us. Yeah, and Bertram Trenchcoat is a robot we built to talk to you, uh, and everything else is just goofy shit we put at the end of time because we're bored. Yeah, we read all of these books, Dracula and... Little Red Riding Hood and Sleeping Beauty and all of these dumb nonsense things, and we just wanted to make a stupid, dumb game out of it. I, I love their story for how these babies came into doing the, what they're doing. It's like, oh, the only thing left that's of any interest in uh, in the far, far, far future of Earth is, you know, archaeology. And these two recently uncovered the library at Cambridge. <laughs> Time note. And I'm like, bullshit, it's 300 million years in the future. Those books are nothing. Yeah. But <laughs> apparently they're like, oh, no, everything was very well preserved. And we read these books. And then we made an application to the Time Travelers Guild so that they would put our stupid bullshit adventure as a capsule that people would go to. They're literally just running a murder mystery dinner theater <laughs> at the end of time. <laughs> it's so weird it's just completely pointless uh you learn at the end of this adventure about a mechanic that didn't seem to have been introduced during the actual how to play the game mechanic which is permanent energy oh yeah there is a bit it's essentially this game's experience is when you finish games you can get permanent energy and that way you add that to whatever your 3d 100 roll yeah because you have to re-roll that at the beginning of each game session uh Unless you end while you're still time traveling. Um, (sighs) Permanent energy. You gain one permanent energy from completing this adventure. If you die during this adventure, you lose five permanent energy. Yeah. Uh, That's going to be consistent. Uh, I think the only one where it's not more punishing to die than, or or where the death penalty doesn't vastly outweigh the the, uh, winning is the World War II one because, you know, you're getting shot at a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's very likely that some fucking German is going to shoot you. Yeah. But so. uh, even with that, they're like, oh, if you deduct five points of permanent energy and didn't have any permanent energy, you're just negative five energy now. Yeah. And you can try and work that off. But now whatever you roll is minus five. Mm-hmm. So the very first adventure has a hugely punishing XP mechanic built into the end of it. Uh, when that's over with, it's time to start the adventure into Gamora. Um, if I am a pilgrim to Gamora, then I am a pilgrim to Gamora. <laughs> But judge me not, lest ye also have tasted the blade of ecstasy that is the nacho chip. <laughs> I, The problem I have right now is, if someone were to play this game with me and be like, all right, we are going to do the destruction of Gamora, I'd be like, I bring nachos with me, I brought nachos, I have nachos. <laughs> and I'd be like, disgrace that chair no longer, Nacho Judas. <laughs> I boo the nacho. I boo the nacho as his father. <laughs> Such is my love for whales that I must accept your hideous challenge. <laughs> that's the that's the be- the best comic strip on the internet. <laughs> uh, that's a good bit of Akewood. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, in the Sada or the Gamora challenge, you are teleported to Gamora. Uh, the time passage that takes you there instructs you that there is a bomb 
somewhere in Gomorrah, or some sort of device at least, that will level it and destroy the entire city the day that you arrive. And it is not up, really up to you whether or not you want to solve this problem. It's just a problem that you are aware of. Otherwise, you're just sort of wandering Gomorrah, looking around uh, during the, the, the period of greatest sin. I mean, why would you go to Gomorrah during any other time? I mean, the the whole thing is the players are supposed to want to figure out what actually destroyed Gamora because they're like oh there's many different scholarly beliefs that perhaps it was uh gas deposits exploded or a massive earthquake or maybe a flood or whatever and they're like okay so this whole thing is to go back and find out what really happened and so in this one it really is much more of a oh this is a tourism thing i just want to go back see a bunch of dorks and titties hanging out and figure out a oh, dumb mystery about why Gamora got blown up. Now, this guy's got a very Professor Brothers view of what Gamora was like. So he does <laughs> an even have... weirder move. <laughs> he danced and capered and... <laughs> <laughs> you may not fuck my strange guests, but I have two virgin daughters. Do whatever you want to them. Really, just go nuts. <laughs> he packed his rocks and the bowls and... <laughs> Bits of leather. <laughs> yeah, foot pads. <laughs> uh, so, um, lots of old cartoon references today. There's a lot of references here, and um, it's fine. So, effectively, he does write a little bit about what Gamora was like at the time. It's, it's a walled city, but it's an open walled city. There's a gate that's always open, so people come and go as they please. There's only one law in the city, which is do what you can. Your your strength is, is the only law that matters. Uh, the guards don't give a shit if they see murders happening. They will only intervene if they see a riot forming. Yeah. Uh, there's a palace, but the palace is just full of decadent people just like everywhere else. Hmm. And you're mostly just here to solve the puzzle of of, uh, of what's going to blow up the city in just a few minutes. Now, the actual mechanic of that is you roll in an enc- a random encounter table about a million times until anything happens. Yeah. And I just love that unknown to the party, mm-hmm. the whole Time Lord thing is... Ooh, only you may know that there's a strange device in Gamora, mm-hmm. and it is set to blow. Hmm, and what will set this device off? Why, an energy pulse from a gateway open. And who opened that gateway? Your players did. Oh, delicious irony, Time Lord. <laughs> it literally says, there's a whole paragraph in this book that, that is literally, Time Lord, is this not delicious irony? <laughs> Time Lord, am I not overwhelming? <laughs> <laughs> Is this not delicious irony? We've really put a pin in that whole god thing, haven't we, Time Lord? <laughs> god damn it. This whole thing. That ought to show the Presbyterians. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're lucky we're Church of England. <laughs> Cake or death. So, yes, the whole thing is just look at a random encounter table. What's the encounter? The encounter table is like. You find two people fucking behind a bush. <laughs> Great, thanks. You find one guy who wants to fuck you. You find one lady who wants to fuck <laughs> you. In an encounter table, 1 through 50 is naked couple behind bush. 61 through 80 is naked threesome behind a bush. Uh-huh. So at this point, like most of your encounters are, just don't go behind bushes. Just lots of bushes. Just stay away from the bushes. Look, a party in the street is worth a threesome in the bush, so just stay out of there. And I love that... So much of this is that. But then there's also a 10% chance that a poisonous snake drops from a tree on you. Oh, right. A 15% chance that a Hebrew prophet is there going like, hey, guys, God's going to blow you up. Yeah. And, and 
5% chance that you find a time traveler from the 28th century. Yes. But there's also a whole section that's individual hookers coming after you. There's a a fellow approaches who is a male hooker, and he will attempt to seduce the female members of your party. A male hooker approaches with a lisp. He's a gay hooker, and he will... He, will he is a gay bobe, and he wants to destroy your penis. He wants to attack your... Or he wants to seduce your male players and attack your female ones. You can tell him coming because he has a lisp. There's a warrior woman who is only interested in the pleasures of female flesh. There's a dwarf who wants to follow you and claims that he is a great lover. He will There's ch- a wizard in a basement and he knows why you're here. The, the dwarf says he's an amazing fighter and he follows along with you and helps you fight until such time as he has, quote unquote, charmed the women in your party three times, at which point he will take his leave. Wow. Wowzers. You also keep finding, uh, there's a ton of hookers you encounter, and there's rules with every single one of them for what happens if you succumb and, and pay them money to bang them. Uh, the, the idea that your character's going to want to wander, you, you, you are going to want to wander around Gamora and be like, ah, yes, a lice-encrusted hooker in a bush. You know what? I'll throw that a shot. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's real weird. It's a real weird thing that you're like, all right, here's your encounter table. Lady of the street, gentleman of the street, uh, pimp, thief, pusher, soldier, tinker, tailor, soldier, spy. <laughs> I still love that one of the encounters you can get is an angel. Yeah, you can also just encounter some angels who will who will basically say that there's some weird stuff because ultimately the core secret of the Gamora adventure is that it's advanced aliens killing everybody off and not God. Um, so the angels are just like advanced aliens that are visiting and looking around well yes because this uh tall blonde oddly sexless creature is dressed in skin tight silver almost metallic you're like so a 50s sci-fi alien has showed up yeah and he's but but he's weirdly into foot baths (laughs) foot baths yeah hell yeah uh and the whole thing is this has a doctor who-esque universal translator that no matter what you say it translates to other people and it translates into your language when Mm -hmm. they speak to you but this angel says something that cannot be translated oh what could that language be oh goodness it's probably esperanto (laughs) uh so also this is a brief period in history before the invention of klingon so it could be that could be um eventually you encounter a puzzle you have to beat a bunch of fat evil priests who are trying to sacrifice children well yeah obviously um, or you could ignore them it doesn't matter you also find a slave market and it, and it assumes you'll attack and kill the slave master uh and and then it says like the players at that point are free to either release the slaves or do with them as they will hmm hmm um, but I mean, there's just, this is one of the encounters. Eventually you're supposed to find a bunch of priests of Moloch, uh, kill them all or just stop them from sacrificing a bunch of children, go to the statue of Moloch and push his erection down, which will cause a secret panel to open that you go down. And then there's a puzzle down there that tells you that there are four wires you must cut it in order. And then it gives you a puzzle that doesn't make any fucking sense. And then the players have to cut the wires in the proper order or they die in the flash of light that obliterates Gamora. Yeah. The first one is the color of the sky. That's simple enough. And the second, the color of blood. The third is the color of bitter fruit. <laughs> and uh, and then the fourth is the color of nature. Um, so the color of bitter fruit is amber. I literally cannot tell what bitter fruit that is. I don't know. Yeah. Grapefruit? Well, maybe. <laughs> uh, but anyway, 
if you successfully solve this puzzle, keep in mind that you're playing as yourself. You can't make any skill rolls here. Yeah. You just need to actually solve the puzzle. Uh, and you cut the wires in the proper order. The disc at the center of the, of the puzzle begins to speak to you. Hmm. And uh, it says, it basically is like, hey, look, congratulations on solving the puzzle. You must be mighty time travelers or whatever. But I, the advanced god race, civilization, super alien, monster, ultra being, have determined that this, this place cannot be evolutionarily valuable. Uh, <laughs> they are tra- trending towards evil and will evolutionarily trend towards evil when we need cities that exist that trend towards holiness so that we can be good towards the future. Therefore, these people must be their their line must be terminated now before they pollute the world with their evil ways. Already, the mothership has been dispatched. A disc of dis- great destructive power will show up and oh, Krillin blow your shit up. <laughs> you have one hour to save yourselves. Yes, at which point you just go back to the exit portals and leave. Now, if you didn't manage to solve that and mm-hmm. are just walking around Gamora. Getting your dick wet for six hours. Mm-hmm. A minute before the entire city blows up, a voice from heaven, which is just an alien loudspeaker, will be like, hey, uh, we're about to blow you up. You got a minute, and you can't outrun it, so uh, I don't know, make so, peace or whatever. So, so unless you can jump into a time portal, you're fucked. Yeah. Don't worry. There's not going to be any pain. It's just going to be a flash of light, and then you'll be gone. Mm-hmm. But it will happen, and you will be gone. Yeah. Uh, and at that point, I guess you just leave. And you have 60 seconds to either get to an exit, which if you do, you get some points. You get yeah. permanent energy. If you don't, you get blown up with Gamora and lose three energy. <laughs> uh, okay, so the third and final adventure. Uh, you are transported to the streets of Berlin in 1945 because although history does tell us that Hitler cowardly executed himself in his Hitler Fuhrer bunker, uh, in August of 1945, one cannot be sure that he was actually going to do that instead of merely attempt to escape, and thus you are dispatched to kill Hitler before he can kill himself. Now, kill Hitler so that Hitler can't be known as the one good guy who killed Hitler. <laughs> At which point you're just dumped randomly into Berlin, and again, you make your way towards the Fuhrer bunker, so hopefully one of you brought a map of Berlin or extensively studied World War II Berlin shit. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you're rolling on random encounter tables until something interesting happens. There are two random encounter tables here. One of them is generic Streets of Berlin, where you can meet a bunch of SS or Wehrmacht or Luftwaffe or generic soldiers who always just demand your papers. Uh, and now, get... what I want to say yeah. in that, I was really disappointed when reading this, because going through it's like, oh, you don't have any danger. There's an SS patrol, whatever. One of them is a werewolf patrol, mm-hmm. and I oh, was... Yeah. <laughs> You had not heard of Werewolf Patrol before. No, I was briefly very excited that they were going to be patrolling werewolves, and then I was like, oh, it's just Hitler Youth. Okay. Yeah, the Hitler Youth towards the end of World War II was actually being recruited into civil uh, warfare roles, and Werewolf Patrol was children who were patrolling the streets of Germany. Yeah. Uh, and they are the most vicious thing you can encounter, because even if they even if you give them papers, they'll just attack you anyway, because they got nothing better to do. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, you can meet a bunch of different, like, Hitler folk like various German soldiers from that era, uh, including one of them is just a sniper in a nearby bell. A German sniper in a nearby bell tower opens fire. Yep. Not like, oh, if one of your characters is wearing, like, a T-shirt and jeans, Mm -hmm. he'll be like, ah, American. Yeah. And try to kill them. No, he just shoots at anyone. He shoots at, you could all be in SS uniforms and he still opens fire. Uh, And he's hard to get rid of because it's really hard to hit him. 
Yeah. He's a fucking sniper in some tower somewhere. What are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. So that's just some bullshit. But eventually you get to roll on the second encounter table, which is the, I found the Sturmenfuhrenbergendurgen, or whatever, the, the bunker that Hitler's in. Uh, and now I get to roll on the table of important Nazis that were present at the end of World War II. <sighs> yep. Because there's a whole bunch of different escape routes. Mm-hmm. And like all of the escape routes have nonsense for them. Yeah. So you can be like, oh, I met Hitler's secretary or the Luftwaffe adjutant or <sighs> Hannah Reich. Hannah Reich. Well, all of these people are real world figures. Uh, uh, Hitler's secretary was discharged the last day. You got a couple different like Albert uh, Speer, Albert Speer, that kind of people. They were all sent out. Hannah Reich was a, uh, a test pilot during World War Two in Germany and before World War Two, who was basically like a uso show equivalent here on, on in america by the end of the war like she was just touring around raising people's spirits and flying helicopters for demonstrations and stuff in front of them uh but her last order from hitler who she was friend with friend of uh was to fly the luftwaffe commander von grimes out of berlin she took the last uh train to knoxville last train to, to knoxville and then meet you at the station that would be clarksville but no knoxville knoxville you're changing the song yeah she took the last train to johnny knoxville <laughs> and this is jackass <laughs> don't try this at home kids they are trained professionals uh, now you, i'm gonna fall off a train sorry i'm getting all i, I studied hannah reich a lot because i like airplane history yes uh so i won't go too far down the path but but yeah, there's you just encounter various famous Nazis, all of whom have like superpowers. Yeah, it's basically like, oh, if you want to fight a famous Nazi, that famous Nazi will fuck your shit. Yeah, they'll be like, oh, the average person in this game has like 120 life points. You meet Albert Speer and he's like, I have 280 life points. I hit on a 30. Yeah, Martin Borman is the Borman. one who's like, fuck you. I am a goddamn ogre. Yeah, Borman is literally like a two-headed giant comes out and shoots. He's like, my Luger carries 25 shots as opposed to the usual six. I hit on a 30 or better. I have a speed factor of 80. I will fuck you. You're like, what the heck? Why would, why would you do this with Martin Borman? Well, we just needed a mini-boss, because it can't be Hitler, because Hitler is a coward. Ugh. So, eventually, you make your way to Hitler, and he tries to run away, and you shoot him. The end. Yeah. And, I mean, there are some, like, other Nazi things you can find where they don't want to kill you, because mm-hmm. they're just like, oh, I'm a random person that's here. Yeah, you can find, like, Juden or so on, that kind of thing, where it's just, just still people wandering around. Yeah, you're like, what sure. did you find? I found a waiter. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, or sometimes just nothing. You roll the random encounter table. The street is empty. You continue going. Draw the map. <laughs> just keep drawing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. So, uh, so, so John, if if I may, now yes. that we've pretty much wrapped up the three adventures, yes. I made a mistake because I wanted to see where this guy was from so I could determine how to properly pronounce Time Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found the Wikipedia article about this book. Mm. And I know we don't normally do any research. And I didn't do any real research here, but I did look to discover that there were reviews of this book written in, like, 1983 and 1984. Uh, there were reviews written in, like, Dragon Magazine and other nerd publications of the era. <laughs> you know, respected nerd publications of opinion. <sighs> okay, so in the December 1983 edition of Dragon, issue number 80, Ken Rolston was guardedly enthusiastic about Timeship. He admired the simplification of the rule system and the ambitious nature of a game that uh, attempted to cover all of past and future time. Because obviously that's what this game does. Yes, obviously. Yeah. Uh, however, he found the humorous tone in the rulebook irritatingly cute and self-indulgent. Hey, same. Hey, samesies. Absolutely. And the rules of play themselves are difficult to read and reference because of the idiosyncratic style. 
Hey, what do you know? That is correct. Rolston thought the first scenario, murder at the end of time, was silly. However, he found the third scenario, set in wartime Berlin, to be the most detailed and credible, though he did fault writer Herbie Brennan for not including a bibliography of references about wartime Berlin that a game master could use to flesh out the details. (laughs) Uh. In the August 1984 edition of Space Gamer, issue number 70, William Barton had the exact same complaint. Not enough Nazi stuff in the Nazi adventure. Please add more Nazis. Thanks. Thanks, and and I hate it. (laughs) So just in case you were curious as to what people at the time thought of this book, it was mostly more Nazis, please? Well, yeah, because the other ones, they're like, oh, but the adventure at the end of time is some doctor who made up bullshit. Yeah, it's completely ridiculous. And the Sodom and Gomorrah one is just a story from the Bible, whereas I am a nerd, which means I know about World War II, and I want to impress people with how much I know. (laughs) Absolutely. One of my very favorite things to do is to go into chat rooms and be like, hey, guys, who knows anything about World War II history? (laughs) Oh, well, (laughs) what kind of history are we talking here? It's a very complicated subject. One thing you have to understand about Russian troop distributions, I'm already out of the chat room. (laughs) I've left. I just wanted to ruin it for other people. I just wanted to throw a bomb into the room and then leave. (laughs) Some men just want to watch the world burn. (laughs) Uh, uh, So anyway, that is the majority of the game, Time Ship. Yeah. I mean, it does have, it has a character sheet Mm -hmm. where you have to write down your numbers on things. Yeah, you have to write down like what you think your skills are at the back and also what weapons you're good at. Yeah, it has like a, oh, what do you think your ability in various hand-to-hand to to hit things are? Be honest. But I feel like that is just asking for a fight. Because you're like, oh, well, I'm going to be generous to myself and say like, I'll give myself a 60 on knife slash dagger. And then the person running the game has to go, have you ever even attempted to cut someone with a knife? I've seen you try to cut bread and you almost killed yourself. (laughs) Come on. You could barely put a cucumber on a jammy biscuit. (laughs) Why would anyone put a cucumber on a jammy biscuit? Well, we're British. You're not British at all. We're British and we hate good things. (laughs) It'll taste like terrible nonsense. (laughs) Uh, I do appreciate the character sheet because it notably just the very first entry on it is hand-to-hand fists. Because why would you need to write down anything detailed about your character? It's just you. Yeah. There's not even a section to put your name at the top. Now, there's a little area for your energy for the adventure, the Mm -hmm. group energy. Uh, You have a combat reserve energy, which we didn't mention. Yeah. Which is just your basically hit points for combat. That's right. Uh, which are lost uh, as you take damage. Each type of weapon has a damage track on it. Uh, all of them do the same damage, but then, or, or I'm sorry, they all do a D10 of damage, and then they have various amounts that they will add to that D10. Yeah. Uh, from plus one to plus 15 or so. Okay, and then you can write down the weapons and equipment you brought with you, but yeah, you're just like, well, what do you? what's your character good at? Well, obviously, the, the only stats in this game are fists, martial arts, kicking, uh, knife, sword, light, medium, and heavy, bow, sling, slingshot, spear, yeah, there's, javelin, there's blah, all blah, that. Blah. And then one of them have... is just one of them is just rock, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you, then you have your physical abilities, so speed, endurance, intelligence, strength, dex, agility. So you can, if it's something non, like, are you and I looking at something very yeah, at different? the very end? It's the very bottom of the sheet. Oh yeah, you're right down there at the bottom. Physical abilities. Yes, and it is. Those are plus and minus percentiles. It's weird to me. 
that at least intelligence is in there. Because mm-hmm. the other ones, you're abstracting physical things into the game world because obviously me as a player, I'm not running around actually. Yeah. But intelligence, I feel like, why would you do that? If I need to solve something, I'm solving it, so I just have my own intelligence. Why is that a stat? Oh, so you can belittle the stupid person at your table? <laughs> oh, you seem to have given yourself a 70 in intelligence. I don't think so. Mm, let's be realistic, can we? <laughs> it's, uh... Who's a Tory? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you guys. I don't even know what party that is. Fuck the Britons. <laughs> Fuck the lot of them. I was spelling that. But with the, the Irish, you're great. The Irish, you guys are fine. But the Brit, I'm, I'm talking about the Britons with an O. The Bretonia. Yeah, the, screw them. <laughs> Rue Britannia. <laughs> uh, but Irish guys, you're all right. Yeah, Irish, great. Good job. Love them. Good job on you. I've been around <laughs> Ireland. Love it. Everyone it's, there's great. It's smaller than the city in California we live in. But, <laughs> <laughs> but Lord, is it ever a lovely place? I could get from one side of Ireland to the other in about the same time I could drive from here to L.A., mm-hmm. but <laughs> good on you. You've got a wonderful enchanted and, ver- and mini scepter dial or whatever it is. <laughs> many sceptered dial. Yeah, you got a lot of scepters or something. You got I, so many scepters and not enough snakes. <laughs> That's what they have on their flag, I think, is it's, it's, a, it's an Irish dude. And he's just shrugging and it says, too many scepters, not enough snakes. And he's like falling over because he's carrying too many scepters. Yeah. He's like, if only I was a snake here to help me carry these scepters. Ireland. <laughs> We're so very jealous of the don't tread on me flag. It's got a snake. You guys have so many snakes, you can afford to just chop them into chunks for your flags. <laughs> no fair. Uh, In summation, Ireland. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, gotta love being asshole Americans. <laughs> Might as well enjoy it while, while we can. We're on the bot near the bottom of the whirlwind at this oh, point. Oh yeah, we are just circling that drain. Yeah, time loan. What is your favorite thing about this RPG? <laughs> I I do really like the concept of playing as yourself. Mm-hmm. There is something about that that is fun because it means you can put in like this game, especially the second one. You know, weird little riddles and adventure things, Mm -hmm. and you don't have to go, but your character only has an eight intelligence, so I don't think they'd be able to solve that. You don't have to worry about, like, trying to micromanage whether or not something happens. And the same thing if I'm like, you know, I'm playing a wizard with an IQ, with an intelligence of 20, he knows how to do this, just let me do this. Yeah. So there's none of that. I do like that. I it's an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. I'll say that much. What about you? <laughs> I was pretty much going to go with the same thing. I mean, the, you the, can. That the concept of the game is very interesting. That, that it's a time travel game where you play as yourselves, and you're just solving puzzles throughout history and, and, and kind of agreeing that you're in a goofy fantasy, fantasy scenario where the person sitting at that end of the table is reading a magic Sumerian book. Yeah. Um, that's kind of fun. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and say that the concept is interesting. Now... That is very divorced from the execution of the book, which is why I shall now ask you, Time Lord! Time Lord! What is your least favorite thing about this RPG? And be honest with yourself. <laughs> and be honest. Mm. Uh, I think my least favorite thing about this... I think I gotta go with... There's several things that I could, but I think I want to go with the fact that with all of this and 
so few rules. The fact that you can roll yourself out of playing the game is the <laughs> dumbest choice imaginable. And the, that the book knows that you can roll yourself out of playing the game and mentions it. Yeah, you'd think instead of going like, oh, it's 3D100, you go, it's 2D100 and everyone starts with a base of 100 so you can do something. Yes. But, it really, it should be 200 plus 1D100. But no, it's, uh, it's a weird choice mm -hmm. to have a giant range that's just going to make your game feel bad because if you're already like oh everyone's themselves and this guy's got a ridiculous advantage over you in the game even though you're just playing yourselves because mm -hmm. he rolled slightly better for this adventure yes but he could barely apply a cucumber to a jammy biscuit <laughs> barely why would you do that a jammy biscuit's a cookie yes yes well <laughs> <laughs> because of the queen, don't you know? I like that sharp wetness with a jammy biscuit. <laughs> so yes, I, I gotta say the rolling for personal energy is the worst decision that this game makes. Okay. What about you? I mean, other than having to hear that description of Jesse Owens. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> or the many numbers of times where it's like, you encounter a leprous hooker. Should you choose to lay with her, roll the throw a percentile die. If you roll above a 25, you have contracted the lice. <laughs> ah, the lice. Uh, so? What do I give a shit? Do the lice come back in time with me? <laughs> or Wait, can I just go back to the portal to, to, to my own time and just stick my dick through it, shake the lice loose, and then come back? <laughs> is, that, is that cool? Because otherwise I'm going to be hanging out here in Gamora Bay. <laughs> Just keep coming back here. I got every plenty week. of talents of silver. Let me assure you. Uh, uh, I don't know. I think my least favorite thing in this game, realistically, is the character creation where you have to look at a list of weapons and be like, "Hmm, I am quite proficient in rocks." Yeah, I. I mean, that was basically my number two was mm -hmm. having to do a a fearless inventory of your own capabilities Conduct with staves and morning stars moral inventory as to whether you're better with the sling or the slingshot <laughs> am i good with a rifle or a chopping axe who knows <laughs> hopefully i'll never have to find out <laughs> i like that there's even a section for like artillery and flamethrowers yes like who the fuck in your party is doing that <laughs> i don't know veterans maybe who knows Ah, yes, of the Great War. Yes, if you had, well, it was the 80s. The, the Great War was only 70 years earlier. You could have guys in their late 80s who were like, mm, I remember fighting the Germans in the, 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 the Maginot Line. I was 10 at the time. <laughs> Child soldiers quite popular. Sexually. <laughs> Ew. Ew. Indeed. That's why they gave me the flamethrower. Uh, there you go. Yeah, no, this book is so weird. Hey, Jeff. Yeah. Would you play this game? I think I might be playing it right now. I mean, I am myself. I am I, in time. And I am constantly traveling forward in time. <laughs> I'm always time traveling. Hell, I got the time machine right here where I just lie down in it and then I wake up and it's eight hours in the future. <laughs> Man, you wake up eight hours in the future? You're fucking lucky. My time machine only lets me wake up two hours in the future and then I get grumpy and have to get back into it. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, no, I don't think I would actually play this game. It, it, it just, um, it, it's not enough. There's not enough here. Yeah. Here. There's not, there's just, there's, there's no meat on these bones. Yeah. There's just some guy who's really, really proud of his skewering of religion and his, his knowledge of, of late era Nazi Germany. And how much he loves Doctor Who. Yeah. There's just, I, I don't want to play those, I, I guess. So no. What about you? No, I mean, 
like you say, there's just not enough of a game here. I, I could see if there was another edition of this that made it not garbage, mm-hmm. that that could be sort of fun. But I think the way that this is handled, no, I wouldn't want to play this game. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. So, so there you go. It's a double do not play from it's a uh, double deuce from us. That said, it's very cheap. I got this PDF for five bucks on Drive Through RPG. So if you're looking for a weird, wild read, I can strongly recommend finding it and reading it for yourself. Oh yeah. Now, if you wanted to play a game that is good, mm-hmm. you could always go back Descent into Midnight on Kickstarter. Yes. Why not do that? That sounds like a wonderful idea, John. Tell me more. Well, you know, Descent into Midnight. Uh, if you've been listening to our show the past couple times, you know that right now, uh, through March fifteenth, there's a Kickstarter for Descent into Midnight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is a rad RPG where you play undersea creatures that are they have powers and it's it's very hard to describe because you're like hey what is this oh i'm playing as a school of fish Mm -hmm. and the school of fish have empathic capabilities yeah and also i can see the future and you're like okay no it's really interesting because the the character creation is basically what do you like about the ocean and then oh yeah you just Pick a cool thing that you think is rad, yeah, and then you get a uh, playbook for it. So personally, I'm a per- I'm a fan of the of weird creatures from the ocean. I've, I've loved them since I was a kid. They're basically number two behind dinosaurs in my brain. So for me to find out that I could play in a game where it's like, well, what weird sea creature do you like? Oh, I'm a huge fan of the uh, the the Nautilus or the uh, the paper octopus, which is a which is an octopus species where the females spin a web around themselves made of ceramic that they use to float while they lay their eggs. I'm going to play a weird bobbit worm. Yeah, oh, you can play as a polychaete bobbit worm, and you're like, what are you? Well, I'm a six-foot-long rainbow worm that lives on the ground and slices fish in half with my mega teeth. Yeah. Hey, what up? It's me, your boy. Yeah. So, I mean, you take something like that, and then you can you can take that concept and go, well, what would that thing do in a cooperative world where there's a lot of mystic and magic? How, yeah. If there was magic. an actual civilization yeah. based under the water, what would that look like? It's a super interesting I really love it. It's already uh, been pledged over the minimum, so it is happening. You don't have to worry about that. They got that in 18 hours, which fucking grats to them. They did a great job, but they're still unlocking. They've got a ton of stretch goals to do, Mm -hmm. and it's just even without that, it's just a game I recommend in general. It's just fun. Oh, my gosh. I'm very excited about it, And, and there's a lot of good levels available there, so... Yeah, definitely go support it. I I believe it ends right around March, March 15th. March 15th. So definitely get in there and support it before then. Please help us help them. And They're uh, friends of ours. That's why we're doing this. Yeah, so it's just Descent into Midnight on Kickstarter. And go ahead, check them out. They're on Twitter and everything else. They've got a lot of <laughs> dumb fish puns and <laughs> other weird facts about the ocean that they are posting all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, I, I kind of want to play that game again because it was a lot of fun and and oh, it I've was these, super fun. Yeah, and I and, want to do more and, stuff, and, and I definitely didn't use it to its full potential. I just played it as a vampire squid that was an actual vampire. Uh, I really well, want- no. When we played, we were definitely doing a goofball version of it. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm like, oh, dude, I want to do blanket octopi. I want to do uh, P. gracilis, which is the amphipod that's completely see through, like literally, it's invisible in the water. Yeah. That's I want to play as one of those that ha- and figure out how that works. Man, there's so many there's so many fascinating ocean animals. Yeah, I want to play as basically a chain of Christmas lights mm-hmm. 
because I don't know what that thing is called, but it exists. Oh yeah, you're uh, you're, yeah the uh, it's a type of jellyfish. Yeah, it's a jellyfish that just looks like fucking Christmas lights. You could also another one that'd be really fun to play is the salp, which is a a, a organism collection that's a bunch of microorganisms that form into basically a big old hula hoop barrel that just swims around the ocean like a big like 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 a barrel like just like thirty feet long. It's great. Yeah, so there's a bunch of nonsense you could do. Oh, absolutely. Now, if you also have some more money to spend and you aren't already. Go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash systemmastery. Support us. We are, I don't know if we're going to make characters in this, because it's just us, but by I, God, we'll make characters. We'll figure something out. That's we our, are going to have bonus content for this, by God, because have, we do that. That's all we do. Is we Well, we do a lot of other things, actually. But one of the things we always do is we show up with our bonus content up. And that means we're going <laughs> to- We got our bonus content up and ready to go. <laughs> Don't press down on it. There's no secret passage. <laughs> oh, it's not a secret, my passage. <laughs> Donate a dollar uh, or give us a dollar on Patreon per episode of System Mastery, and you unlock bonus content, usually two episodes a month. There are other levels at two and five that will unlock yet more shows. Bonus content is us making characters in the game. In this game's case, we may make characters that are us. We may go back into history from before there was a bonus content and make characters in a game we didn't get around to the first time. Indeed. Who knows? You'll find out at the $1 level. That's right. One thin dollar gets you in to our club. The best deal in podcasting there is. Plus, you get access to a bunch of stuff on our Discord. You do. So, yeah. Go ahead. Join us. Join us anywhere on the internet, mm-hmm. whether it's Twitter, our Discord, Facebook. You can go ahead and find us on Patreon. We're all over the place. And, of course, our own website, SystemMasteryPodcast.com. Yeah, or WetAndMessy.com. <laughs> Turns out we own that, too. I'm kidding. We don't own that. Don't go Please there. Please don't go there. I don't know what's there. I cannot stress this enough. <laughs> Hold on. We got we to gotta wait until I look up what's at WetAndMessy.com. <laughs> Well, here's the question. Is it wet and or is it wet and? Uh, it is wet and. Mm-hmm. And you need to be 18 or older to enter this site. Yeah. 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 And that is indeed us. That, that's where we are. Yep. Yeah. That is, I guess, if you're into like people covered in oil and peanut butter or something, then this is for you. I think you know I am. <laughs> so, hey, <laughs> give it a shout out to a random porn site. That's us. That's how we do business. Once again, SystemMasteryPodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening and you have a good week. 